turn to the book of Judges once again here tonight. And uh, again, as we consider some thoughts from the book of Judges here tonight in Judges chapter 2, towards the end of that chapter in, in Judges chapter 3, you'll find again that the Lord decides to, uh, again, put in the scriptures the word prove a few times here. And so we're going to consider some thoughts about proving here tonight. Um, we looked at last week, a people plagued by their own decisions. And again, certainly sometimes, again, we can be plagued maybe by wrong decisions. And these decisions they make affected them and their country. And again, you see kind of an overview of Judges there in Judges chapter 2. But as we go into chapter 3 here tonight, I want to consider here tonight a people proved by God. A people proved by God. Let's begin by reading Judges chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at least such as before knew nothing thereof, namely five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites, that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount uh, Baal-Hermon unto the entering of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the land of Mo- hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites, They took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of uh, Shanrishathram, a king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served uh, served Shushash, Rishathram, or however you say it, eight years. That's a long name. And uh, when the children of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Shushan, Rishathram, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Shushan, Rishathim, and the land rested 40 years, and Nathiel, the son of Kenes, died. I want to consider here tonight just a simple message on a people proved by God, a people proved by God. Let's look at that here tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word here tonight. ask you again to help us to see some proving that took place here tonight amongst God's people at this time during this generation. Again, as we see it in this generation, we should understand that proving takes place in many places, many times, amongst many individuals, amongst many nations. And as we see some thoughts on proving here tonight, help us, Lord, to understand some truths about it. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As we talk about the subject of proving, proving is a testing, the testing of life, behavior, motives, heart, actions, 
words. It can be done, certainly, in different cases by different people, but in this case, it's done by God. The word prove is used here three times in this passage of Scripture, going back into chapter 2 also, as we consider Israel being proved here tonight. In chapter, 20, verse number, uh, chapter 2, verse number 20, the Bible says, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened to my voice, I, will also, I also sorry, will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep my way, the way of the Lord, to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them out, uh, sorry, them into the hands, hand of Joshua. And so we're going to consider some thoughts on proving here tonight or testing here tonight. And we see in this passage of Scripture that God intended to prove a nation. And so as we consider some thoughts about proving here tonight, I want to consider her first of all here tonight, the instruments used in proving in this passage of scripture. It's obvious that God hath chosen, at least at this time, to use the nations that they left unconquered in the land to prove them. It says that here in verse number one. It says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel. So who are, the, who are the instruments of proving these, these people that are left, these nations that are left? It mentions them in particular there in verse number three, namely the five lords of the Philistines. And these lords of the Philistines throughout the time of the judges will certainly be involved with a lot of the proving of the nation of Israel, the testing that God would have to be done to them. It mentions others also there in and in these nations, this is all the Canaanites, verse number three, and all the Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Lebanon um, from Mount uh, Baal, Heman, uh, unto the entering of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their father by the hand of Moses. And so as we consider here tonight, first of all, the instruments of proving, it says in our text exactly who these individuals that would be used of God to prove Israel. This would be nations that were left there when they did not conquer those places that they were supposed to conquer. And so sadly, because of their assimilation into the heathen culture here, these nations would be a thorn in their flesh, which the Bible talks about there earlier, and we talked about last week. We see the instruments approving the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites, all these different nations. And God used nations to prove nations sometimes. I just want to mention that. But also I want to see, secondly, here in this passage of Scripture here tonight, the reason for proving. The reason for proving is given here to some degree, but I believe it's expanded upon in Deuteronomy, but I want to just read these words in, in uh, verse number uh, chapter uh, 2, verse number uh, 22. The reason for proving here tonight that the Bible says that God used these nations to prove them, it says there 
verse 22, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. And so the reasons for proving to, it was reasonably to see whether God's people would be faithful among nations that they were intermingled with. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy 8. Uh, again, uh, the proving of a country, a proving of a person may done in, be done through means of testing or trials or temptations that are set before them. And uh, you find here in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and uh, verse number 2 here and, and some of these other verses that we'll read also, Deuteronomy 8 verse number 2, uh, the reason for testing by God is normally of the same caliber and kind. And again, we've talked about this before, but again, I'll, I'll just mention it here again here tonight because it's important for us to understand what, what the proving was for. Uh, Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, it says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee out of uh, the, these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou would keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did he, did thy fathers know that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of, of the Lord doth man live. But it gives us, a, I believe, an answer to the reason for proving here in the Bible at least for God's people in Israel, it mentions here in particularly in verse number two, the middle part of the verse, it says, to prove thee uh, to know what, what is in thy heart. And so the reason God proves or tests us is to, is to go about to see what's really in our heart. You know, people can talk about what's in their heart. They can talk about, oh, I love Jesus. But what's really in their heart? Oh, I'm, 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 I'm going to serve the Lord with all my life. This is again was Irzo at one time, not long before this, this basically, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord, just like Joshua asked, are you going to serve the Lord or not? But yet you'll find here, they will be tested in this matter of faithfulness. They will be tested in this matter of whether they'll follow God. In verse 16 it says, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at the latter end. And so what is the reason for proving? It's just to see what's in our heart. But it also is to produce a better end. A better person. A better result. The wilderness wanings weren't supposed to hurt God's people or, or humble. In some ways, yes, it was to humble God's people, but it was to... Make them a people of faith, a people that would trust God, a people that depended on a God, a people that fought with God and fought the battles according to God's will and whatever he told them to do. And so we see here some reasons for proving, to, to, to prove what is in the heart. Certainly to produce a, a good or a better end. You can see in the book of Job, we'll turn over there also just to look at this thing of proving why does God prove people? Why does God prove maybe me or you? Why does he prove individuals? Why does he prove countries, etc.? That is to produce a better country, a better person, a better Christian. Uh, Job here, chapter 23, 
in uh, verse number 10 through verse number 12, the Bible says, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His ways have I kept and not declined. Neither have gone back from the commandment of his words. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You see there in the Bible that the proving of Job led him to a place where it says, I shall come forth as gold. When I'm tried, I'll come forth as gold. When I'm tried, I'll be a better Christian, a better person. Testings, trials of faith, provings. They're for the purpose of getting people to trust God, to humble themselves before God, to be in a position where they know that they need God, to depend on God, and uh, so many other things, but especially to keep them in a place where they continue to follow God. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28, but that's not always the case when it comes to a trial or a test that takes place. In fact, I just want to look a little bit here at an example of uh, someone who was tested or proved when it comes to their faith and whether it comes to their life. And uh, again, you're familiar more likely with this passage, maybe haven't read through it, maybe some of you have read through it. Um, but again, I'm just going to look at just the first part of it as we see Saul proved. First Samuel chapter uh, 28, starting in verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare, to fight with Israel. And Asia said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go up with me to battle thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know uh, what thy servant can do. And Achish said to, to David, Therefore will I make uh, thee keeper of mine head forever. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And uh, Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And so we see here in the Bible, as you find the situation to be a very difficult time in Saul's life, he's, he has the Philistines proving him. This is years and years later from even the book of Judges. But here, the Philistines are proving him. And he's in a place where, what, what, where's he at? Where's his heart? He's afraid. He's greatly troubled. And so he's in this position where he's afraid and greatly troubled. And then it says there in verse 6, and when... Saul inquired the Lord, the Lord answered him not by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. So he goes to God. And he, I don't know what he says, it doesn't really say what he says, but he inquires the Lord, maybe on what to do, what he shouldn't do, what he might do. Who knows? Sometimes again with David and, and Saul and others, he would ask the Lord about, uh, should I do this, that, or the other thing? And then the Lord would tell him what to do. But in this case, in verse number six, he doesn't hear an answer. So I believe he's being tested to some degree. I mean, he doesn't have an answer, but he's 
what's he going to do? Well, here's what he does. Then said Saul unto his servant, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I might go to her and inquire of her. Well, you got an alternative at that time in history. You can go to the Lord or you can go to the local witch. That was a choice. He went to the Lord. He didn't find anything for the Lord. And so he went to this witch and this, we, we call it the witch of Endor. And uh, it, it's, it's a terrible thing, but that's what happened. He was tested and he went to this witch and inquired of her. And again, you can read through it sometime, but again, this witch and, and Samuel told him what was going to happen down the road. But we see in proving, sometimes you have opportunity again to pick one way or the other, or maybe one, one person, maybe to inquire of, or maybe another. And so, again, when we see here in the Bible, the proving take place here in uh, Judges chapter 3, we see a proving that I believe was meant to see what was in Israel's heart. Let's turn back to Judges chapter 3. But also, uh, when it comes to testing, sometimes, again, testing or or proving is done sometimes to see how we'll deal with the loss, or we'll deal with maybe not God answering right away, or maybe we don't know what to do in a situation. Again, maybe we're told to wait, and we don't want to wait, or whatever it might be. But we find here, most times, and many times, God is proving us to see whether we'll do whatever God has told us to do or not. You can see that back here in verse number 22 of, of chapter 2. Verse 222, it says that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as the fathers did it or not. And so we find in the Bible instruments used in proving. We see the nations of Israel. We see the reason for proving to see what's in our heart. But also we see here in Judges chapter 3, verse number 2, I believe a, a second reason probably for proving. And I, I believe again this is Again, why that God allowed these, these enemies to, to dwell in the land. In verse 2, it says, Only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them to war. At the least, such as before knew nothing thereof. What's the reason from, for these nations testing Israel? To create a people, I believe, that could war and battle for God and for good. To create a people that could battle for God and for good. Throughout history, God has always desired a people that could battle for God and for good. Sometimes not with instruments of war, but spiritual warfare, which we talk about in the New Testament, Ephesians and Timothy and other places. But the generation before went through the battles. So the generation before was experienced in the war. The generation before knew what war was about. The generation before knew that they needed God in war. The generation before God provided power and miraculous events and different things that happened in their life that they might know how to war. They could either war in the flesh, soldier to the soldier, like other countries did, muscle against muscle, bow against bow, sword against sword, spear against spear, or they could battle with God's help, and God would fight in the battles. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. God's people, I believe, need to be strengthened for war. 
I'm not saying I'm talking about, again, a hand-to-hand combat type thing, but these people certainly probably needed that at that time. If they were going to have these people in the land, they would find conflict in the land. And certainly, again, as we look through the book of Judges, we'll see that. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We find here they would live in the land, and they need to be strong in the land. And they needed the help of God, again, to do what God would have them to do in the land. And they needed to fight the battles with the Lord, and with the help of the Lord, and with leaders, judges, saviors, that would come along and help them to fight against the enemies and oppressors that would be in the land with them. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and uh, verse number 17, the Bible says, And ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his statutes, his uh, testimonies and his statutes, which he hath commanded thee, that thou should do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thee, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord had spoken. And it goes on and says some other things, but we find here God would have them to do whatever God wanted them to do in the land. Little by little, they were supposed to conquer the land. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 23. Little by little, they were to conquer the land, and they were to succumb those people and individuals in the land. They were actually to destroy those in the land, and they did a lot of that under Joshua. But as they left others in the land, we find here in the land that those individuals would lead them into a place of corruption and depravity and turning away from God and following false gods. I want to just read to you again about really what should have happened and what did happen to some degree in the land. Exodus chapter 23, verse number 27. I will send fear, my fear before thee and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. I'll make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. There were a lot of enemies that fled before Joshua and his forces. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee. And will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. But little by little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. So God's plan for the land was little by little these enemies would be driven out and they would own the land. And so I believe another purpose for God proving them was to prepare them to be able to stand against the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Philistines. He would need people that were able to battle, to be in war. Turn back there to Judges chapter 3. It says there in verse 2, only that the generations of the children might know to teach them war, at least such as before knew nothing thereof. Some hadn't experienced that, and so they need to be taught that. The Bible says, again, I just want to mention a, a couple of verses in the New Testament that you might war a good warfare, 1 Timothy 1, 18. Again, we are to contend for the faith. We're to fight a good fight. We're to finish our course. We're to keep the faith. God says that in the book of Timothy. 
In Ephesians, let's turn over there. Ephesians chapter 6, our warfare is not the same warfare that they had there in Old Testament times. We're not taking out spears or swords. We're not going into a physical warfare against people that are not saved, people that are, again, enemies maybe of the truth. But we are to put on some armor. We are to be soldiers. We are to be battle ready. Not with swords and spears, but with the very word of God. Ephesians 6 verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rules of darkness, the world against spiritual darkness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewithal you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching therefore, thereunto, sorry, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The Christian warfare is certainly different we find here in Ephesians, there's a need for us to be shod with the truth, to have righteousness, to have faith, to have all these things that are mentioned here. Again, even for us today, there's a warfare taking place between good and evil, truth and error, right and wrong, God's views versus the devil's views. And we need to be able to use the truth to set people free from that. They shall know the truth and the truth shall set them free. Let's turn back to our text there in Judges. Again, in this proving that took place here in the book of Judges, they were given the opportunity to prove what was in their heart. Hopefully there would be humility in their heart. Hopefully there would be faith in their heart. Hopefully there would be faithfulness to God in their heart. But you find here, thirdly, as we look at proving here tonight, the failure that took place in proving. They failed in three areas, at least here tonight, that we see here. They failed, first of all, in intermarrying with the nations that were there. They went into the land, verse number 4 talks about that, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to be their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam in the groves. So at least three things they did wrong in this time of proving. They failed, first of all, in this area of morality or even in family. They intermarried with those heathen of the land. And this led to them losing their morals and also their form of worship. This was predicted in the Old Testament in times before. Let's turn it back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. If a people will intermarry and, and make marriages with people that are uh, unbelievers, those that have, have a false faith system. The chances are uh, many people, and you can see that throughout history, you can see that even in uh, normal, again, the normal world out around us here today. You'll see again sometimes believers marry unbelievers, and it's a snare to them spiritually. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, it says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and have cast out the, uh, many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, 
The Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with their daughters, uh, thy daughter. Uh, thou shalt not give unto, the, uh, give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, and they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn the graven images with fire. And so they failed in this era of intermarriage, but they also failed in turning to idolatry. They joined the heathen of the land. Instead of being committed to God, instead of being separated to God, they failed in intermarrying with these nations. They lost expressly in their morals. They also lost expressly when it comes to worship. You see there in verse number 6 it says, And they served other gods. Verse 7 it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord that God and served Balaam and, and the groves. And so they failed in turning to idolatry. Someone says, You never need to worry about idolatry. Oh, yes, you do. Why would the New Testament say in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 21 to believers, keep yourself from idols? Oh, yes, you do. God can test you and put you in a place where idol worship might be where there's all kinds of people doing that sort of thing. There might be people that don't worship idols of rocks and, and trees and all those kind of things that these guys might have worshipped or of stars or sun gods or whatever it might be. But people still many times turn to false idols. The Bible says they turn to idols. They turn to marrying people that they shouldn't. And it also mentions they forgot the Lord. Sadly, here. It says there in verse number uh, 7, it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God. They failed in this time of proving they forgot God. God had done a lot for them, and God had done a lot for those before them, and they left God. They failed in morals, they failed in worship, they failed in loyalty to God. It's true in Psalm 106. Psalm 106, they really went wayward. They really went off course. They really... Uh, chose to do things that they shouldn't do. Evil communications corrupted their good manners. As the New Testament mentions, evil uh, communications can corrupt good manners. So as boys married girls and girls married boys of, a, of another faith system, they fell into the idolatry, the false faith system of those in the land. Psalm 106 and verse number 34 it talks about this in the book of Psalms also. I just want to read a little bit about it. This whole chapter deals with it, but let's pick up in verse 34. Psalm 106, verse 34. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with among the heathen and, and learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yet, yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. 
and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, inasmuch he abhorred his inheritance and gave them into the land, sorry, the hand of the heathen. And they hated them that ruled over them. And their enemies also oppressed them. And they were brought into subjection under the hand. And many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel, and they brought, were brought low with their iniquity. Verse 45, and he remembered for the, his covenant and repented according to multitude of his mercies. But they forgot the God of their land. They forgot the God that they had served. They forgot the God that they had been given this land from. Why did they do this? It was because they, they became full in the land. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's a little bit, I believe, like our country. There's just this fullness that people have when it comes to their life. Really, I mean, they could talk about our country having you know, such an overwhelming uh, amount of poor people and hungry people and all that kind of stuff. Not like the Bible. Not like the Bible. I mean, hungry in the Bible is people that don't have bread and water to eat. Hungry in the Bible is like people maybe in some other country, not in America in general. I'm not saying there's no one hungry in our country, but I'm saying, again, hungry is not having anything to eat and maybe little to drink or just a little bit to drink and maybe very little food to eat. Why did this happen? Well, it's because of they forgot God. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now these are the commandments and statutes and judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you may do them in the land whither you possess, that thou mightest fear the Lord, to keep all the statutes and his commandments which he commanded thy son and thy son's sons all the days of life, that their days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that they may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land which floweth with milk and honey. And so here we find the Bible, I mean, God will bless them in the land. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. It goes through all a, a lot of detail of what they would find in the land in Deuteronomy 8, but I'm just going to pick up there if we could. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 10, where the Bible says, Beware that thou forgettest not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which he commanded thee. Forgot, forget not the Lord thy God. It mentions why. It says in verse number 12, Lest when thou art eaten in a full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt thereupon, when their herds and their flocks multiply, their silver and gold is multiplied, and all the has is multiplied, when the heart is lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, uh, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness. It mentions a number of different things there. Verse number 6, Who fed thee with, in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, uh, uh, to, to do thee good at the latter end. And, and thou shalt say in thy heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath got me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Verse number 19, And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord, and walk after our gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against thee this day, you shall surely perish. And the nations which 
the Lord destroy before you your face, so shall you perish, because you will not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Anyways, they fell because they fell into fullness of life, fullness of bread, fullness of things. They fell into pride, thinking again, they had gotten these things. Turn back to Judges uh, chapter 3. They fell into a place of idolatry, they fell into a place of intermarriage, a place of forgetting the Lord that graciously gave them this land and all this provision in the land. And as a result of this, they were people proved by the nations that were there, which again ravished them for a time. In verse number 8 it says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and sold them into the hand of Shushan Rishathrim, Thamim, something along that lines, king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Shushan Rishathrim eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. We see here, fourthly and finally here tonight, the mercy of the Lord in a time of proving and chastening. The mercy of the Lord in a time of proving and chastening. Eight years of chastening followed this time in history where this king, the Bible mentions there, of Mesopotamia, uh, was in a position over them. Again, in other places in the Bible, it describes this, this, this chastening that took place in more detail. And uh, again, it mentions in the Bible that if a people stray and they turn to the Lord, God will give them mercy. If you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, if, if a people stray from following God and forsaking God and doing contrary to God, God will extend mercy to a people that turn back to him. And this is what actually took place here in uh, their history there. They, they found eight years of misery, eight years of oppression, eight years over a cruel tyrant king because they're wandering away from God. They're forgetting God, turning to idolatry, turning to things contrary to the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, it says, And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessings and the curse which I have set before thee, thou shalt call them to mind among the, all the nations whither uh, the Lord hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I have commanded thee this day. And thou and thy children, with all thy heart and with all thy soul, that when... Sorry, then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion on thee and will return and gather thee from all nations whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee. God promises here to Israel that he would come along and help them in times of distress where they turned back to the Lord. Let's turn back to Judges chapter 3. We're not going to go into any details about Othniel. We've talked about Othniel to some degree already. And I just want to mention just a few things about Othniel. God in his mercy sent a deliverer, a savior, a helper, someone that would turn them back to God and turn them back to good, someone that would go out to battle before them and, uh, again, fight against the enemies that suppressed them. In verse number 9, it says, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. 
Again, we can turn back to Judges chapter 1, just look at this briefly. But this Othniel that was raised up by God to be a deliverer after they had been chastened for eight years there was a very courageous man. And again, God raised him up for this particular event. In Judges chapter 1, verse number 9, it says here, And afterward the children of Judah went to fight against the Canaanites that dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the valley. I'm going to skip a few verses here. In verse number 12, it says, And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerjashkefer and taketh it, to him will I give exile my daughter to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it, and he gave him Axah, his, his, his daughter to wife. And it came to pass, and it mentioned some other things. But we find here in the Bible, who was this Othniel? He was a very courageous man. And so that's what you needed at this time in history. You needed a man with courage. You needed someone, again, who would be willing to go up against an oppressor. And so God raised up a deliverer in his mercy to be a help to this, these people. In verse number 10, let's turn back to Judges chapter 3, verse number 10. This Othniel, again, was not only raised up, but he also was empowered by the Spirit of the Lord. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You're familiar with Samson. And, and when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, he did some pretty amazing things. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel. I can imagine that empowered him for battle. In fact, it says that. He judged Israel and he went out to war. It doesn't give us the details here of what Othniel did. But most believe Othniel to be the greatest of the judges. Because when he came into power, you see a great difference took place in the country for at least a time. Verse number 40, it says, And the land had rest 40 years. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. God extended mercy. God gave them this man to lead them for a time, to deliver them from the oppression they had, from their straying away from God and the things of God. The Spirit of God came upon this man. He went out to battle with those who had now been trained for battle and they took care of the oppressors, and they conquered the oppressors as they were able to do this with God's power and through God's help. Let's turn to Psalm 107. I'll just close with a few verses here from Psalm 107. The history of God's people here in the Bible is one of continually kind of going in a cycle. I mean, a cycle of following God and forsaking God and getting chastened and uh, turning back to God and that sort of thing, but it's kind of the cycle that you see most nations and most people even go through, kind of a cycle of closeness to God and then straying from God when you get full or when you're doing well and then having some problems and some chastening taking place and then turning back to God again. And Psalm 107 talks about this in a lot of detail, but I just want to read through a few verses here as we consider some thoughts about proving Psalm 107, verse 13, it says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and brake their bands asunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he had broken the gates of brass, and cut the bars of iron asunder. 
Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near to the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and he, his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destructions. God continued again to be a help and show mercy to God's people that were being proved during this time. We see again their proving taking place. We see again them turning away from God for a time. We see again God send along Othniel there to bring them back towards God and the things of God. And we see again a nation in a good place for at least some time. Verse 11, it says, And the land had rest 40 years under Othniel. A people proved by God. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.